Welcome to the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor podcast, LaughBox. We have multiple hosts and multiple guests and multiple ways to think out of the box using humor. LaughBox is a production of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Visit us online at www.aath.org. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Music by Gary Rubio. For more information, www.garyrubiomusic.com. Join us for episode 88 with Jim Bob Williams, Katie B, and Naomi Schaefer, the executive director of Clowns Without Borders. Yay! Hi, everybody. Welcome to Laugh Box. I'm Jim Bob Williams, and our, my co-host is Katie B. Hi! We're here for the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. We're a group of people who explore how humor helps in all kinds of different situations. And sometimes the situations can be pretty grim, but you can find laughter there. You can find joy there. And there's probably nobody in the world better to talk about finding joy in tough places than Naomi Schaefer. Naomi Schaefer is the executive director of Clowns Without Borders. So I started, I started clowning as a child. I grew up in Vermont. I took classes at the New England Youth Theater. And wow. in part, I really wanted to be on stage to express myself, but I did not want to speak. I felt very self-conscious about speaking. I actually still do. Yikes, here we are in a podcast. <laughs> and being, you know, being in clown, this this place of making something from nothing. I also remember seeing clowns perform and having this moment of feeling invited in to someone mm. else's imagination. And so that that really stuck with me. And I spent a lot of time not clowning, doing other, doing other things. I ended up at Clowns Without Borders because I, I went to Beslan, Russia mm. in 2015. And Beslan is a, a site where most people know about Beslan because there was a, a hostage situation at a school in Beslan. And I was invited to be there as a, as a clown and as a, as a art teacher. And it was so just wonderful and profound to be in this place that is a site of tragedy, but also to see that that's, that's not the whole story. And, and that was a moment of really seeing, you know, even even when the the news or a political situation or kind of we the history of a place becomes defined by one you know really horrifying but like one one moment we lose we lose the greater the greater opportunity for how how is everyone else growing up and and when i got back from russia in 2015 is when i started looking for for other clown opportunities and that's when i saw and learned about Plants Without Borders. That's actually when I learned about Plants Without Borders. So this amazing background you have in this childhood of dreams and this travel to Russia took you to Clowns Without Borders. What is Clowns Without Borders? So Clowns Without Borders defends the right to play. We work under the UN Declaration of the Rights of the Child, which include that children have the right to play and that is children everywhere, anywhere, all the time, anytime. And so what, what we are, what we do is we are professional clowns and circus performers who perform in refugee camps, conflict zones, 
and sites of natural disaster, we often say communities in crisis. And if a community reaches out, it's a community can self-identify as wanting as wanting the clowns to come. And and that's actually how we started. So part of our our origin is is based in the wisdom of children, the and children saying, we want this. And Clowns Without Borders was founded by Tortel Poltrona, who's a clown in Spain. And and he is sort of the person who founded Clowns Without Borders. He is the clown who said, let's do this. But if we back up in 1993 was the Serbo-Croatian War, and there were a group of children in Spain and, and also in refugee camps in Croatia who were, who were pen pals. And they were writing back and forth. And the, the children in the refugee camp said, you know, we're, we're okay, we feel safe now, but we miss laughter. Mm-hmm. And the kids in Spain knew that Tortel lived in their town. They were like, well, we have a clown in our town. We like to see him perform. Oh, we should have him go and perform in these refugee camps. And in that magical way of kids, they just said exactly what they thought. They said, Tortel, yeah. you should go do this. And, and he did. And that was the seed, that was the seed of, of Clowns Without Borders. And, and that is the heart of what we do, which is, I really think the heart of what clowning is about, which is, which is listening. And so listening and being invited are really core pieces of, of what we do. And listening and being invited, looking, looking for a game looking for an opportunity to play, but also with this sense that I think really great clowning is is not about the performer and is about the audience. So I started volunteering with Clowns Without Borders in 2015. And at the time, the whole organization was volunteer run and Molly Rose Levine was, was running, was running programs, was the director of programs. And and I became the executive director, I believe in 2019. Okay, so you became executive director just in time for the pandemic. I think what's at the core of Clowns Without Borders is this piece of being seen, of seeing each other and being seen and, and finding eye contact. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times what happens after the show, which is, in many moments, the most ex- the most important part of of the interactions we have is the the artists and the audience introduce introduce themselves mm-hmm. and you know say each other's names and there's this beautiful story from the the Turkey and Syrian border and Caitlin Kaufman talks about this experience of performing in refugee camps and. Throughout the performance, she had said her name, her clown name, and sort of yelled it. And at the end of the show, children came up to her and would say their name. And then they would stand and yell the names. And each kid would kind of go around and have this moment, this call and response of yelling their name and having having the whole group yell their name back. And that piece of again, of, of being seen, of being remembered in rural Nicaragua, we had a kid run up and say, you came, you're mm. the clowns who came. Mm. And 
and even last last week the artists were in were in Mexico primarily performing for women and girls who've survived human trafficking and at the end of one of the shows you know the kids are asking the questions of artists all looking looking for connection sort of oh did you study ballet I once studied ballet what's your name this is my name what's your favorite color here's my favorite color and this desire to be known and to be seen is so universal and yeah. so incredibly important because I think we as we do a huge disservice to many many communities and many cultures by only learning about them sort of by the by facts of displacement or facts of trauma and not mm. not looking forward not not having that thing that's like wait how do you celebrate oh what mm. makes you laugh these are so beautiful these points you're making are so beautiful and naomi i have to return to your statement earlier why so, is play a universal right? Play is is a universal right for two reasons. And the, the to sort of get on my soapbox for a moment. Oh, did you see? I sat up straighter. And now I'm like, no. I'm with you. <laughs> play is is important for two major reasons. One is play is an essential part of childhood and human development. Children learn through play you kind of if you have a child or grandchild in the school system you hear a lot about play-based learning play-based experience and if you've seen a child you will see them deep in this world of play and so play is really how how children learn and and organize themselves it's a place for both imagination and being in the what if and also how they organize what is. It's that moment of you see children playing out scenarios that have maybe just happened. They will play out with stuffed animals, their bedtime routine. Yes. Or in games, if you think of play as sports and organized games, it's, it's, how, it's how humans learn cooperation, collaboration, competition, frustration, all of all of these major pieces, the excitement, disappointment, something is hard. And, and so play connects so much to education, but also play for the sake of play is also important. We're not looking at play for any, like, I don't have a statistic of, oh, play will, play helps you be you know, it will, you'll get better test scores. No, it's play. Play helps you be human. Play is also critical for, for other animals. You'll see other animals play also. It's, it's how we make, it's how we build culture. It's how we build community. And I would say that play is especially important in the places where it is often forgotten or often excluded. And that's where Clowns Without Borders tends to work in communities that are, have experienced or are experiencing the stress of displacement or of a natural disaster. Because those moments, how, how most humans respond to stress is, is by shutting down. It's, there's too much, it's too much overwhelm and we kind of tamp it down, yeah. right? If you think about, you know, if, if you've ever experienced any kind of crisis, there's, there's probably been a moment where you kind of go into a triage state of, okay, I just have to keep 
I just have to keep moving, right? And and sometimes I know in my family I've I've seen this and you know, in a moment where it's like a a death has just happened or a crisis has just happened. And instead of having that like, oh, we're having an emotional moment, it's immediately like, okay, here's the next step that has to happen, right? And sometimes we we compartmentalize. And that that is also an essential piece of being human, of protecting ourselves. Adults have a lifetime of experience of processing and regulating and experiencing their emotions. So they kind of know how to come out of it. And kids don't. And mm. studies show that the, the longer kids stay in that kind of depressive or crisis state, the harder it is for them to come out of it and the greater the impacts of post-traumatic stress disorder. And often what happens is I know that if my kid is having a hard day, often I'm able to then sort of like, you know, pull her out of it. That becomes a lot harder when I am also having a hard day. And so if you think about, again, a refugee camp in a place where there is prolonged stress, prolonged resource scarcity, and also often a fair amount of monotony. It's hard for parents to be that, that play instigator. And so that's really where the clowns come in. And it's not that Clowns Without Borders are these heroes and we come in and, oh my gosh, we start playing and then the kids start playing and then poof, their stress disappears. They just start expressing their emotions again. No, 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 no. Kids know how to play. And what Clowns Without Borders is doing is just cracking open the door. Hmm. And so one of the things that we see over and over again is, is kids' resilience. It's one of the reasons we say resilience through laughter. And you know, resilience is, is this kind of bounciness, right? The ability yeah. to bounce back. And I think one of the best examples of that comes from the, the beaches of Lesbos, Greece, which was in, in 2015, 2016, and 2017 is when we were there the most as a response to the Syrian refugee crisis. And Clowns Without Borders was performing on the beaches and often there as some rubber rafts were, were arriving. And if you remember, wow. these, yeah. these rafts were incredibly crowded, often families spent their entire life savings to get passage. And then the, the journey itself is, claimed thousands of lives. People arrived often wet, scared, hungry, and went through you know, emergency, emergency services, getting, getting warm, getting, getting food, starting the, the processing. And then sometimes Clowns Without Borders would be there. And I think the best example I have of resilience through laughter is when a group of clowns, Sabine Shuker, Luska Hiola, and Clay Mazing were, were playing on the beaches with kids and using the rubber rafts as trampolines. And we have these pictures of these kids whose faces are lit up. Right, because these are these little kids and these three big adults bouncing them and bouncing them and bouncing them. And you can, it's like, you can 
see the kids just laughing. Mm. And if you look closely, you also see that these children are still wet from, mm. from the journey. And so they're, they're in that moment. And that's really where Clowns Without Borders exists, is in this place that in what may still be one of the most terrible of this, of this child's life, there was also laughter. Mm-hmm. And, and hopefully there is laughter every day. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's, that for me is really the, the core of laughter as a human right. It's not, oh, here's a special thing you get on your birthday or when mm-hmm. everything else is okay, then you can laugh, then you can play. It's every day, multiple times, through the good, through the hard. So Clowns Without Borders exists in a few different ways. The sneakiness, the Without Borders sneakiness. So Mm. the original idea for Clowns Without Borders was in Spain and was formed Mm. in Spain by Tortel Poltrona. And Tortel invited other international artists to work with him. And one of those in the early years was Moshe Cohen, who Mm. is based in the U.S. And at one point, Moshe said, hey, Tortel, may I use the name Clowns Without Borders to continue this work in Guatemala? And Tortel said yes. And that is sort of the the start Mm. of multiple chapters of Clowns Without Borders. So right now, there are 15 different Clowns Without Borders worldwide. We are all joined by Clowns Without Borders International. So we share a code of ethics. We share a lot of our practices and and we collaborate on different programs as well. When I speak about Clowns Without Borders and kind of our programs and my experiences, I'm often talking about Clowns Without Borders USA. And I know that there's a little, like, right, there's an inherent joke in there, Clowns Without Borders, USA. Yeah. But we all we all work in collaboration is, is the big piece. Well, <laughs> if, if maybe you could you know, discuss a project, because I have this image of my mind. It's like, you know, Mission Impossible, where, you know, Ethan Hawke gets the dossier, and then he's got to <laughs> choose the impossible mission team to go rescue something there. So, you know, start to finish, who initiates the, you know, identifies that there's a need for a project and you know how do you fill that project with qualified people my gosh i wish someone i wish someone handed me a dossier and then like with a plane ticket that would yeah. i mean then i would probably <laughs> be without a, without a job so who initiates depends and often and i think when our programs work the best our partners initiate so again and that's this piece about clowns being responsive and, and this place of being invited. Because while I have seen, and Clowns Without Borders over the years has seen how incredible laughter can be for a community, it's also not always, it's not always appropriate. And it's also not my place to say, oh, what you need are clowns. If you think back to the, the very beginning, the, the the children in the refugee camp said, we miss laughter. But a lot of times it's it's this balancing act and this push and pull of, is this the right time? I don't know if you've ever had the experience of 
either having a bad day or having experienced a loss and someone trying to make you laugh. Mm, yes. That's, oh, yeah. And it's terrible. And, and the piece about the right to laughter and the right to laugh to play is, is everyone also has the right to all of their emotions. And mm. it's, it's one of the pieces that is so wonderful to see about clowning is clowns, clowns take you on a full roller coaster of emotions. Clowns play the highs, but often also the low lows and, mm. and clowns get stuck and get mad and get frustrated and mm. get back up and fall down again. And, and sometimes, a lot of times, the audience catches us on those really high joyful moments. Mm -hmm. But for the audience, watching a clown who's frustrated can, can also be very satisfying because sometimes that's also the place of the most where there's a lot to relate to. Yeah. A lot of times we play with being stuck. And actually during 2020, Moshe, who founded Clowns Without Borders USA, led a lot of workshops on Zoom where, where one of the pieces that we would play was, was being stuck. And there was so much resonance there as, mm. as we were in lockdown. And it opened up this, this opportunity to play with that, to experience and play with the, the frustration and sometimes the absurdity of being stuck. And moments like that often make their way into performances for Clowns Without Borders. But the life cycle of a tour is often, often starts with, with kind of slow, slow trust building and, mm. and going back. And we have, we have a, many partners who we've worked with multiple times. And unfortunately, so much displacement is protracted displacement, which means there's displacement yeah. that's, that's existed for over five years, often more than 10 years, this this March, I was performing for communities in Iraqi Kurdistan, where communities had been displaced for over 30 years. So that now displacement is multi-generational. And the hard reality of that, and that so much displacement in the world is this long-term displacement, is that Clowns Without Borders often, often returns to places. And we have many pro partners who we've worked with multiple times. But at the very beginning, the sort of seed for should we start happens happens with conversations between often between NGOs and or and or community leaders. Mm. And really this question of would a Clowns Without Borders engagement be be appropriate? Is this mm. wanted? And and from there, it's uh, it's a little bit of a juggling. It's hard to say which happens which happens first. But we we start to refine this question of what's the goal, what's the what's the purpose? And our mission is a moment of laughter, a moment of awe. So that can be the goal. The goal can be performances for for children living in Tongagara refugee camp in Zimbabwe to offer a moment of laughter. And that that can be the goal as big or as small as that, that profound moment of a moment. And from there, it takes either, you know, sometimes weeks, sometimes months, 
sometimes years, this, <laughs> this refining process of looking at looking at dates and logistics and budgets, which I'll just fast forward through. So like, here we are. Then is when I get to put out a call to the artists. So Crimes Without Borders has a, has a network of, of artists we work with, mostly in the United States, but not exclusively. And we put out a call based on what we know the, the program needs. So in some places we know, wow, we really need artists who have a strong background in street performing because when we've performed along the Balkan route, we're performing in refugee camps or in situations that are more like street theater. Sometimes we know, oh, for this, for this tour, these communities are really grounded in, in folk tales and storytelling. We really want clowns who have, who have a background and are gonna be really excited about building, really building a story-based show. We also look at where are the artists from and with the goal of every, every tour having a cast that has, that includes at least one, usually up to half of the team of artists who are from the, the either the community or the country of origin for our audience. Mm -hmm. So that, a little bit of the, the alchemy of how we cast. Once the tour is cast, boom, amazing. We then start the process of building the team. And a lot of times the teams, the teams are small, usually four, four to five people. And often of people who've never worked together before. Mm -hmm. And so we spend a fair amount of time before they meet in person, talking about how do we how do we work really understanding that unlike maybe doing a performance at a theater where you go home at the end of the night the team is together for the full the full time of the tour often three weeks and so it's important to talk about identity work style power dynamics within the team decision making really early on and so that's, that's where we start. And also talking about the, the context of where we're going and who we're performing for. There's always a moment where we shift from the kind of abstract to the who's bringing what, talking about the show. Okay, you've got juggling clubs. I'm bringing a banjo. Oh, you have a banjo. Do we want to? When the artists arrive, we usually spend about two days rehearsing and also working with a local partner to, to learn more about the, the context, to learn more about the community we're performing for or the, the situations that they've experienced. And then we dive in. A typical day involves two to three performances. Sometimes that's at the same location. Some refugee camps are very large as in 200,000 people, we can spend a tour there and not reach everyone performing three shows a day, not reaching everyone. And some tours, the artists perform, drive for four hours, perform again, drive, perform, drive, perform. It really depends. Can I just take a second? I just want to focus on the fact that you could be going somewhere with 200,000 displaced people in one 
location. That's a lot. Yes. So that is, that specifically is Kukuma Refugee Camp, which is in Kenya. It's either the oldest or the second oldest refugee camp, continuously running refugee camp. And, you know, I think it's, it's one of those, those places where when we think about displacement, when we think about refugees and even the idea refugee camp, there's, I think this ideal of, of it being a temporary solution. Yeah. And it's really hard to see is that, is that it's not, right? That yeah. it's, it's become a permanent solution. And a lot of times, you know, I think when, when Clouds Without Borders started in 1993, many people, you know, those, those camps that existed then, these tent, tent camps are no longer there. People have been resettled and, and what that looks like depends, but, but those, those physical structures of the camps are not there anymore. And it's, it's one of the great inequities of, of displacement is that, is that it continues. And so there are people who, you know, in, in 1993, who arrived at, at some of these camps as refugees and who now have had families. There are hundreds of thousands of people who are born into displacement, who are born into refugee camps and, and will live their full lives there. And so that's, that's this place. And I think one of the, the places that I, that I struggle with the most with Clowns Without Borders is, is this balance of how to tell this story on one hand that a moment of laughter can be profound. And also, of course, it's not enough. And so yeah. we're also always looking at what are, what are ways to have, to have a lasting impact. What are ways, how do we start to shift our consciousness? Because when a refugee camp is built in an isolated area and kind of becomes a like, oh, we'll put people here and often they become forgotten about. And yeah. that, that is this piece that I hear again and again. And, and these stories that, that the artists bring back is, is that moment of being seen, of being recognized in 2018, I was performing with Clowns Without Borders in northern Myanmar on the, the border with, with China, and we were in a displaced persons camp, so a camp for, for people from within Myanmar who were displaced. And a father said to, to us at the end, thank you so much for coming, and thank you for recognizing that we are displaced. And said, you know, my child doesn't remember living somewhere else, but I know that this is not my hometown. And I think about that so much because this question of where are you from is, is so foundational yeah. and, and so important for people to be able to have, to have an answer and to have an ownership. I don't have a pretty, like, here we go back to, back to laughter, sign up yeah. for our six day laughing challenge course that is also the role of of clowns is sitting sitting in discomfort yeah. at times sitting in the unknown i'm so grateful to have you here naomi i can't yeah. i can't express just the feeling of mm -hmm. of 
depth and and just love that's coming from you and and how important all of this is and the next question is we've kind of segued into it how does clowns without borders contribute to peace my hope is that clowns without borders contributes to peace in two ways the first is that for audiences who who see our performances who are in a refugee camp conflict zone or have experienced a crisis that in some ways what what clowns without borders is showing and this is from an audience member said oh this is a different type of international relations and the artists of clowns without borders you know wherever we arrive we we have we have something that our audiences don't is that we have a, a ticket home we have visas, we have a certain amount of stability. And it is our job and our privilege to create a space of, of play, to create a place of, of equality. And that contributes to peace by, by this opportunity of creating an experience where without resource scarcity. Laughter is abundant, it is renewable, <laughs> and in all of these moments when people are you know experiencing stress or experiencing crisis you know naturally there's this question of of scarcity of resources and and that creates conflict and that creates tension and and clowns without borders you know we contribute to to peace by offering something offering something that is renewable that is abundant and i think you know, we also had a, an audience member say, the show gives us a shared experience of laughter. It's a shared experience other than the displacement we've gone through. And it's so important. I think it's something maybe many of us experienced for the first time in COVID of to have community interactions that aren't, that are without, that are without stress. Just that moment of, you know, if you're on the bus and and there's a little kid who's delighted because they see a red car and oh everyone smiles for a moment yeah. and and those are so important those those tiny interactions are important is what keeps us peaceful i think about in mexico we were doing a tour for both for for migrants but also for host communities and and more and more when we do performances, especially in in places where the displaced community isn't necessarily separate, you know. But there, you know, we're thinking about okay, communities living together. There can be a lot of tension, again, because of resource scarcity. Because in a place where maybe there weren't enough jobs, enough housing, enough food before there were migrants there, you know, I think, unfortunately, is a really natural step towards fear, xenophobia, and conflict when all of a sudden there's a new group of people who are also wanting those same basic needs. And, and so we're doing more and more tours that, that work to address that. And again, the performance is a place that, that everyone can share. It can be that place where there is enough. And we had a beautiful experience in Mexico of, of someone standing up from the audience and saying, you know, we are all Americans. 
and you're a group of performers from Brazil, Mexico, and the United States, audience members from South, Central, and North America. And, mm -hmm. and so I think that's, that's the place of building peace for our first audience of who we perform for. And where I hope we are building peace and contributing towards peace is, is through moments like this of being on this podcast of our advocacy and the work that we're doing in our, in our newsletter, on our social media of sharing these stories and, you know, in these really small ways, offering, offering people a different way to think about displacement, a different way to think about laughter. There's no hierarchy of need when it comes to the right to, to feeling right and mm. and so when we limit ourselves to thinking about aid as material goods we completely ignore the whole realm of human experience that is not material mm. and and i hope by doing that by having this moment of of questioning oh wait have i ever have i ever felt better after laughed, laughing or mm. oh do i have a great memory of laughing and having that moment for ourselves, we can then start to think about, oh yeah, every, everyone should have. Wow. Oh, so okay. profound. Go ahead, Jim Bob. Yeah. Okay. So I had a question. How, you know, what are the needs of Clowns Without Borders? What would you like people hearing? What would you like them to do? I mean, I'm figuring you don't want them to send, you know, send in $10 a month so you can buy pies and size 54 shoes or seltzer bottles, but okay. But if you want to send in $10 a month, what you're doing with that $10 is your, that's essentially the admissions ticket for someone else, usually a child who has, who is in the midst of displacement to see a clown show. So that's one way, right? That's like the easiest. I don't know yeah. if I know you, you listeners well enough to be like, just send me $10 a month. It's great. Like we're going to, we'll, <laughs> we're going to put on a great show, but I would, what I would love you to do, and you can do this on the, the Consult Borders website, or I'll send you a link. You guys get to be in charge of that piece, is we've just created a Laughing Matters toolkit, and it includes a laughing, a six-day laughter challenge. And so I would love you to commit to six days of thinking about why laughing matters, and mm. we you know, in our booklet, we have a bit about the, the health benefits of laughter, but also this, this question and this moment of reflecting for yourself of how is laughing important in my own life? Yeah. Because I can tell you, like, I can rattle off the like, oh, it will lower your blood pressure. Oh, laughing matter. Like, but like, okay, you can read that also. Really what I want is is this question and this, this moment time with you for you to think about why does laughing matter in my life? Because that I think is the context that's needed for when a mother says, you know, this is the first time I've seen my child laugh in weeks. And to have that context of what does it mean to go weeks without laughter? So that's, that's what I would love you to do. And I, I also want you to be somebody who is a who is emotionally generous. That's the way I think we can all be a little bit more like clowns is, is to, to have that moment of, 
if, if something makes you want to smile, smile, you know, have, have that moment, take the extra half second to have, to have eye contact, the, mm. the piece of being seen. And again, the, the COVID-19 pandemic was such a, a reckoning of, mm of people who are often unseen in our community, you know, take that, take that moment. If you're at the post office, like, don't be grumpy about how long the line was. Like, take that moment of like, to say hello, how are you? And (laughs) that in some ways has nothing to do with, with Clowns Without Borders, but does have to do with this core of seeing each other. Well put, well put. Because there are people there are people who are disconnected, isolated in every community. We can be kind to them. One of my favorite questions for people we interview is, you know, what difference does this matter on Thursday? Yes. Being able to laugh, being able to give someone an identity, <laughs> okay, to hear them. Yeah, that's going to make that, that's really important on Thursday. How can people contact you? You can find us, you can join along by first at our website, which is www.clownswithoutborders.org. We're also on Facebook, again, Clowns Without Borders, Mm -hmm. and Instagram, same thing, Clowns Without Borders, and YouTube. On YouTube, we're Clowns Without Borders USA. I would love if you, if you want to join our community and really know more about us, one of the ways to do that is by joining our newsletter. We send about a weekly, weekly update telling you about why, why laughing matters, sharing stories from our programs. And we'll also give you that six day laughter challenge and the booklet about why laughing matters. Spoiler alert. It's not a like, I give you the answers. It's more like you think for yourself about why laughing matters. I'll get you started, but why laughing matters to you might be really similar to why laughing matters to me, but I'm also sure that there there are differences. If you do want to join the Joymakers, which is our community of monthly donors, that is, wow, that is the backbone of Clowns Without Borders and how how we're able to to plan and organize our performance tours. And that again is at our website, clownswithoutborders.org. And you'll see there's a there's a big donate button. You can also type in directly clownswithoutborders.org slash donate. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. That was perfect. Perfect. Take a take take a breath. So what congratulate Clowns next year will be your 30th year. And there must have been something going around in the late 80s because in 1987, that's when the predecessor to AATH was formed. So we're in our 35th year. And I think the Venn diagrams of AATH and Clowns Without Borders kind of overlap because we have a number of people who are clowns, you know, medical clowns, you know, children in hospitals are performing there. And then we have quite a few people who are in laughter yoga just giving the gift of laughter to people there. I, I just love how sometimes the universe brings different organizations together and you know to meet a common need and it's kind of kind of wild. Yeah, and it's so important. And I think the the big piece of of Clans Without Borders International especially is 
is this idea of how do we work in collaboration and not in competition mm-hmm. and this place of again laughter is not a finite resource yeah it is so exciting and, and this to have multiple organizations multiple artists working towards this shared mm-hmm. this shared goal of increasing laughter and i know that you know part of this question of of how does plans without borders select artists we're often we are often looking towards the hospital clown organizations mm-hmm. because doing the work of of clowning in a hospital or in a refugee camp it's not just the skills of being an awesome performer there's there's more there's there's this piece i think this true either humility or responsiveness which is this this willingness to be asking what does the audience want and understanding that you know the experience we're trying to create for our, our audience is a moment of agency of true agency mm-hmm. for people who very rarely have agency especially kids and so when an audience member or a child says no i don't want this the most important thing we can do is listen and honor that and that's such a different framework than thinking mm-hmm. I've got to make 10 people laugh today, right? Like yeah. no 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 no, it's I'm going to listen. And and a lot of people meet the clowns and do want to play and do want to laugh. And sometimes people meet the clown and say no thank you. Mm. And sometimes people meet us and want to share their stories and you know sometimes artists will get back and being like, "Well, you know, I don't know what this person was saying, but she like sat and was speaking to me and I and I listened. That is also what we do. So often we will lead workshops for professional artists and if we're in a place where artists don't have noses, we we provide them. And so our friends at at Red Nose Factories often they donate noses to us. You know, it's also sometimes people make their own noses. There is of course we don't have to get into the to nose or not to nose <laughs> <Right>. question. <Yeah. laughs> right. A lot of times for Clowns Without Borders tours, we do wear red noses. And I think of Becca the juggler who says, my nose is a beacon for play. Mm. And that's such to me a beautiful, a beautiful reason to wear to wear a red nose. That is beautiful. Yeah. That's absolutely lovely. Can we talk briefly about clowning and catastrophe just a little bit more? I know that there there are moments where I see the news and and I can and I I have these moments of disconnecting, right? Or feeling like, oh, it's too much, or there's too much bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. And there's this real, I would say, empathy deficit, right? Reading a number like mm-hmm. 100 million forcibly displaced people it's kind of it's it's overwhelming there's no way to connect with that it's just sort of like oh it's big it's scary what can i do and so this place of of clowns without borders and thinking of catastrophe and clowning is is trying to tease apart those giant numbers into into individuals the thing that i want more than anything is is to create is to create empathy it's not a oh 
these people who are so different than me. It's, oh no, these people who are so similar to me, who, who are sharing experiences of wondering, oh, what am I gonna do today? Oh, is my kid okay? What's for dinner? Did I remember to do that thing I was supposed to do? And I think often what, what happens in, in catastrophe is again, reducing, reducing the human experience to, to material goods or to material needs. And it is so important to meet those material needs, right? It is like food, safety, housing, medicine, water are all essential. And it's, it's a little more, I think, uncomfortable, but also important to think about the non-material needs as well. You know, one of the, again, from the beaches of Lesbos, and this is a story that Molly, Molly Rose shared with me, is the clowns were, were performing, they're doing a show at the, at the port, this, this group largely of men, and there was a man in a pink t-shirt who, or a pink sweatshirt who started kind of chatting, chatting in Arabic, kind of, you know, telling jokes and people are laughing at him and the clowns are doing their thing and he's, he's doing his thing. And, and so the clowns invited him on stage and Sabine Shukair, who also runs the organization, clown me in and she's, she's Lebanese. She speaks Arabic. She started chatting with him, you know, kind of like inviting him on stage, you know, a little joking, like, oh, you're so funny. You should be on the show with us. And he says, well, yeah. Also, I almost died last night. And, you know, I was almost tossed into the sea, crossing the boats. And before that, my, my father died. And I, I was there for that. And, and I deserve to laugh. And it's this story that, you know, I can feel as I'm telling it, neither of you are laughing. If you're listening, I don't know if you're laughing, but he's telling this story and everyone is laughing and everyone is celebrating this piece. Mm. And, and so that's, that's why clowning in catastrophe, right? Like that's this place of, I think the worst thing we can do as somebody who is an outsider to a catastrophe is assume that there isn't space for humor or love or a game. Because as soon as we have our experience of this is overwhelming, this is scary, I don't know how to process this, shut the computer or oh. we can't play. As soon as we do that, we cut off the opportunity for play. Yeah. And, and so again, I think the clowning in these moments of, of catastrophe is is because the, the clown is the, is the catalyst for this play and this catharsis that the community already knows how to do. And, mm. you know, the clowns spend years training, but, but ultimately our show is successful when at the end, kids turn away from us and towards each other and start playing. Yeah. You know, I believe that probably the person, each child wants to think is funniest is their own parent. And, and so our job is again, to crack open that door is to, to put that little spark. And we train for years to fall over and we spend all this time fundraising and preparing to get there. All for that reminder that a game of peekaboo is enough and is exactly what's wanted. 
There are humor scientists, neurologists, historians, and whatnot that think that laughter developed as a sign to show that things were safe. And that's why you see people after the ride on the roller coaster where they're, you know, scared, they come off the roller coaster and they're laughing like crazy because they survived it. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so laughter and survival are, are interrelated. Wow. This, this has been so amazing. Naomi, can you give your, is there, do you want people to contact you via email or would you rather they go to the website? How would you like people to be in touch? The website is, is the way to, to get in touch. We also have some volunteer opportunities posted. And if when you're on the website, you know, and you're like, what? I want more. I really want more. Then you'll also see, you can email info, I-N-F-O at clownswithoutborders.org. And then we'll, we'll be able to answer hopefully any, any other questions. Wonderful. All right. And there's a quote on Clowns Without Borders International that I just love. And it's everyone laughs in the same language. And I think that's one of the most important things to understand as we sit on Zoom and try and help each other through Zoom and get in really global. You know, the pandemic made us really global. And that right there is the most profound statement is that everybody laughs in the same language. And it's funny because it's like, and again, the, the laughing challenge, we really dig into this of like, why do we laugh? When do we laugh? There's the nervous, nervous laughter, joyful laughter. But, but this place of we can laugh for different reasons. Mm -hmm. We can, you know, our laughter can sound can sound different, but but there is this immediate connection of, oh, I get it, we're laughing. And mm -hmm. and sometimes, you know, they say like laughter is contagious. And often what happens at shows for Clowns Without Borders is a kid will laugh and then someone else will laugh because of that, right? Yeah. If you again, yeah. if you ever think about spending time with with kids, it's like a kid will laugh at something and <laughs> that kind of makes you want to laugh. And for me, again, whether or not someone is laughing because they think that what one of the clowns did was so funny, or they're laughing because the, the grandma over there is laughing like, <laughs> like whatever it is, it matters. And just yeah. to be to be that catalyst. Well, I want to thank you for your time, Naomi. Oh, yeah. Thank you so, so much. You are so welcome. So yeah, what a pleasure. And yeah, just an honor to have you here and your wisdom and your words have been profound and incredible and made me tear up and made me laugh and made me feel so much love. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's, you know, that, that space of, am I laughing? Am I crying? Oh, I feel a little sad. I'm a little uncomfortable, but I want more is exactly what we do. Perfect. Oh, and this place, I love, I love what, what you both are doing in this question of why laughing matters, why humor matters. And what is it? What is it to be human? And and those, those questions of the, the intangibles. Yes, so let's keep going and keep growing and keep sharing. And, and I hope we stay in touch. This is wonderful, thank you. Thank you again. This has been episode 88 with Naomi Schaefer, the executive director of Clowns Without Borders. Thanks from Jim Bob Williams and Katie B. 
Thank you so much. This has been Laugh Box, brought to you by the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Laugh Box is a production of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Visit us online at www.aath.org. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Music by Gary Rubio. For more information, www.garyrubiomusic.com. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.